SBS Radio. I'm Kerry Lee Harding. Thanks for your company today. Now coming up for you, part one of a very deadly yarn with singer-songwriter. His name's Mitch Tambo and he sat down with NITV host of Living Black program, Carla Grant. Mitch Tambo, welcome to Living Black. You seem to burst onto the music scene singing in language the song Wallamba on the program Australia's Got Talent. In fact, you famously received the golden buzzer for your performance. Did you ever expect to receive uh, the response that you you got from that performance and and the response that you received from people right around the nation? Not at all. I mean, the the song itself, Wollombar, to have it chart in various countries all around the world and to receive so many amazing messages of love from all different people from all walks of life around the globe was just so humbling. Now, we know that language is, is very important to you, but before we do touch on that, I wanted to go back to the beginning. You were born in Sydney, but at the age of 18 months old, you moved to Tamworth with your mum, Roz. What was life like growing up in Tamworth? Growing up in the bush, growing up in Tammy, uh, in hindsight and in reflection, was an amazing experience. I mean, as a kid growing up, you know, you can't wait to get out or it's like, oh, it's so I'm so bored, all these things. But to actually have gone and then go back and be able to just be so blown away by the childhood I had is just so humbling. I mean, to come up in such a strong community, you know, culturally, um, it was just so pivotal for me. Now, do you think that growing up in a musical town like Tamworth rubbed off on you? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you know what, if you asked me when I was growing up there, you know, do you like country music? I'd be like, are you for... Please don't talk to me. But now it's my favourite genre. So I often think, you know, maybe Tammy got under my skin. You know, Uncle Roger, he did something to me. Were you influenced by people like Uncle Roger Knox and, and uh, you know, Troy Casadaly as well? I think my biggest influence by far is the imprint that my mum's had on me, 100%. But, I mean, being around strong men like Uncle Roger Knox, Buddy Knox... Um, and the various other fellows, Uncle Neville Sampson, you know, the list goes on, has definitely had an imprint on me. Now, you grew up living in housing commission, but you eventually moved with your mother to live with your grandparents. Why was that? We had some things go down. Um, you know, no disrespect to housing commission because it gave us a roof over our head when we may have not had one, you know. So um, all props to anyone living and doing their thing. You know, I've got some fond memories. But, yeah, there were some fellows that, obviously decided to take advantage of a, of a single woman and mum and stole my mum's cat, dumped it, would get on the roof drunk, meowing, you know, got out of there to the next spot, things went down again. You know, I'll, I, I look back now and realise I was obviously carrying trauma because I would start having nightmares and have mum up walking up and down the house with the crowbar, you know, going, mum, they're going to come and get you, mum, they're going to get you. Um, so it was just right that we went out and kicked it with Ned and Pop for a while until I was about 15 and then, then we moved out on our own. But 
I mean, that was some incredible formative years, you know, being able to live with my grandparents, what a blessing. Mm. Now, during your early teenage years, your mother started to encourage you to embrace your Gamilaroi culture and your identity. Why was it so important to your mother that you learnt more about your culture? I think that she could see maybe my personality that I was either going to take path A or B. And I think she could see straight away that going down a path of, you know, embracing my identity and culture would do everything it needed to do for me. You know, it would be medicine, it would guide me and it would connect me to where I needed to be connected and that's to my ancestors, you know, ones that I may never have got to meet or don't know what happened to them but I feel that now in my spirit and I remember the first time that I ever witnessed Crobbery style dance or movement and I remember what that did to me and I carry that feeling today, you know, it lit a fire inside of me that from that point on I could just never escape wherever I went. And has culture become an important part of your life? 100%. The culture's at the absolute core of my life. Um, you know, culture's not like a hobby. It's who I am. You know, I carry it every day. Traditional dance is something that seemed to resonate with you. Why was this? I think it's the strength. It's the power in it. It's the spirit in it. Um, it's the, the stories that when you sit and yarn with, you know, the old fellas, there's always something that comes out of those yarns that just pumps you up spiritually. You feel so charged up. And I remember being this young fella doing the bandha and dancing and just feeling unstoppable, you know, and I just wanted more and more and more. And, and then you start to understand the stories, um, understand the connection, understand what you're tied to, and it just continues to stand you up and form this bond with the world we can't see. Now, in 2010, you were still in high school, um, but you remarkably found yourself at the Vatican helping to lead the... ...sit and yarn with, you know, the old fellas. There's always something that comes out of those yarns that just pumps you up spiritually. You feel so charged up. And I remember being this young fella, doing the bandha and dancing and just feeling unstoppable, you know? And I just wanted more and more and more. And, and then you start to understand the stories, um, understand the connection, understand what you're tied to. And it just continues to stand you up and form this bond with the world we can't see. Now, in 2010, you were still in high school, um, but you remarkably found yourself at the Vatican helping to lead the procession for the canonisation for Australia's first Saint Mary MacKillop. How did you manage to become part of such a huge moment of Australian and Catholic history? Yeah, so I wish I was that young. I actually finished school in 07, but in 010, I got hit up. One of the, uh, my brother boys, he was like, you coming to Rome? I was like, Rome? What do you mean? He's like, I just thought you'd be coming to perform and be a part of it. And he must have hit someone up and they, they rang me and were like, oh, my God, we forgot you. Do you want to come to Rome? And I was like, yeah, let's get it. <laughs> and uh, so it was so late notice. I had to get someone to drive from Sydney to Tammy to get me to sign these documents, get back. And before I knew it, um, I was over in Rome. And little did I know I was about to lead all these processions and, and be, a, I guess, a part of an, an historical moment. Now, after you finished high school, you were enrolled in a bridging course at UNSW. The day before you began your course, you famously opened the, your front door to the head of the faculty, telling you not to step out of line or you would face expulsion. Can you tell me what led up to this moment? Yeah, so I shouldn't have went to uni. Didn't have the scores. 
I uh, didn't do much at school other than culture. That's what really kept me in school was my school was incredible as in, in the fact that they let me practice um, and share culture and have a dance troupe and we'd go around to other schools and they allowed me to major in the hierarchy from HSC. And then after school, everyone went to schoolies and I decided I wanted to be an academic. So I rang the um, programs and they looked at my report and just said, look, sorry, but I don't think your report meet, meets the mark, you know. I'm like, but can you let me in? You know, I want to do performing arts. And they said to me, we don't do performing arts. There's, you can become a doctor, a lawyer, business, um, or social work. And I, was, I thought to myself, oh, social work seems easy. So, yeah, yeah, I love social work. I think I want to do that. <laughs> so I rang them every day and just harassed them until they went to a meeting and they rang me one arbo and said, look, you're in, but you better not, you know, do the wrong thing by us. So I got down there. And I remember, I remember it was Arnie Sue Green. She come knocking on our door, just gave it to us. She didn't muck around. <laughs> you step out of line, you're gone. Don't let me down or make a fool out of me. You better. And I just remember in that moment, my stomach dropped. And it just really fell on me that, you know, this is a moment here to do something with your life. And I just switched on. And for that whole four weeks, I went as hard as I possibly could. And I went from literally failing my HSC to topping my faculty and got into uni and got a special award. You took to university and completed the, the Bachelor of Social Work in 2014. What was it that made you think, yeah, you know, this is, this is the path that I want to take? I identified with it and I knew that once I connected with it, no matter what I did in life, I would use these skill sets to empower members of my community and just kids from all walks of life. Now, after you graduated from your bachelor's degree, you co-founded the business True Culture, where youth are encouraged to explore their identity through cultural performance, mentor workshops and art experiences. What inspired you to help um, at-risk youth in this way? Yeah, so True Culture is now being reworked and is now Wallenbar. But what inspired me to, I guess, create Wallenbar at the time, True Culture, to be a part of that journey was just to be able to empower kids to embrace their identity, um, regardless of background, and also educate educators with the truth so that they could in turn pass that on to kids and be a part of change. And it just drove me and, and I ended up doing like Blackfellow Wiggle shows, you know, in childcare, just real upbeat um, and just into it, you know, and to all the way to schools, to high schools, to universities, to educators, to lectures, to a whole bunch of things with that. Are you still involved in youth mentoring and social work? Yeah, so right now um, I've got Wallenbar and Wallenbar we go everywhere. If it wasn't for the last two years, we would have toured extensively um, and done a whole run of schools. I'm Lee Harding. Thanks for your company this afternoon. You're listening to NITV Radio. And coming up for you now, part two of our yarn with singer-songwriter Mitch Tambo as he sat down with NITV host of the Living Black program, Carla Grant. Hey, I'm Mitch, and welcome to Muso Magic Outback Tracks, where we bring you music videos and stories from across the NT. You made your screen debut in 2013 as co-host for the program Muso Magic Outback Tracks, uh, which is on NITV, and eventually you went on to host the show as well. Can you tell me about the show and uh, you know why positive stories from remote Aboriginal communities was so important to show? I think, you know, 
remote communities, a lot of our communities get a bad rap and don't get to or don't get the opportunity to showcase all the incredible heart that's at community and at the centre of community. So to go on the road and be able to just purely look and feel good stories for our mob is just an incredible experience. I hope you mob have enjoyed this episode. Until next time, I'm Mitch and you've been watching Muso Magic Outback Track. See ya! In uh, 2016, you self-released your first album titled Gurumali. It was then re-released in 2018 where it received rave reviews, especially after it featured on Triple J Unearthed. What was your inspiration behind this album? You know what? I had a mate and he got a loop pedal and he was just like, brother, you need to get one. I think you'll be great with this. And I never dabbled in creating music in my life. And that was it. I didn't know how to play guitars, do anything. So I beatboxed. Use, didn't have shakers, uh, use clapping boomerangs, clapsticks, uh, cajon, djembe, didge, and just created these tracks. And um, quickly went in, recorded it all in one day, the whole EP in just one day, just quickly punched it out, moved out to Uluru for six months, and I got bored out there and heard of these NEMA awards. I was like, what's that all about, you know? Maybe I've got a shot. Well, I had no idea what's it about. <laughs> no idea about it. So I rang up the same fella. I'm like, how do you create an account? And he told me. So I created it, put a song up, and then I got hit back up to do a to host Outback Tracks. So I moved back to Melbourne. Was driving down the freeway one day and got this email. You've been crowned Unearthed Artist of the Week, top five up and coming artists like this. And I'm like, what? What? What for? Oh, I got an EP. <laughs> Now, as we talked about before, you shot to fame on Australia's Got Talent in 2019, but remarkably it was on this show that you first publicly performed in English when you performed a cover of John Farnham's You're the Voice. At that time you only sang in language. Were you nervous to try this so publicly for the first time? I only decided to sing on English on the day of the performance. Were you nervous? How, how were you feeling before you got on stage? I felt pretty good, but then I had a real moment where I forgot everything. I was in the mirror, just warmed up, and I forgot the lyrics. And I had to like, I was like a movie. I'm in the mirror going, oi. Get it together. You know this. Just shut up. I was like, shut up. Stop. <laughs> Don't do this. It'll be all right. Yeah. Just all this self-talk all the way until I got on the stage. Like, even when I was walking on, I had my head down like, just, you got it. Just relax. It's all right. It's all right. And then as soon as it come on, it just all went away. You eventually performed your version of You're the Voice alongside John Farnham at the Firefight Australia charity concert. How did you feel being on stage performing the song in front of 75,000 people with Farnsey? Yeah, it's funny because I, I don't know if it's because it was just so big, there was just no, like it, what, there was no turning back, but I felt fine. And I think it's because of how incredible he was and Olivia as well, because I'd had incredible moments with them beforehand. We had an, a rehearsal and yeah, Uncle John come up to me and he just gave me a hug. 
and just said, thank you so much. This isn't my song anymore. It's our song and I absolutely love it. And I just want you to have fun and do what you do with it. And we'll mid-rehearsal and he paused, he paused the rehearsal and was like, Livy, have you seen his version? I'm like, this isn't going to happen, please. No, he's like, John, get it up. John's the producer. Get it up. Show her. So midway through, he made her watch it. I'm just sitting there like, oh, no. But it was great because it was almost like being with just two grandparents, you know, how unconditional and just loving they were. It put me at ease. And before we went out on stage, they come both come out of their way, come over to me. And John was just like, hey, just do your thing. Don't worry about me. Get out there and enjoy it. And following Australia's Got Talent, at the age of 28, you signed a record deal with Sony Music Australia. Did you feel that you'd finally made it as a singer? It was such a whirlwind. It was just like, how do I not lose it? What am I going to do here? Um, and also realising, I suppose, that in the music world, it's almost like being signed as a footy player to the NRL. Um, it's, a, it's a worldwide legit label michael jackson was with them you know beyonce all these incredible artists and, and here in australia you know jess was signed with them you know the list goes on here we are what do we do how do we stay here you know i think a lot of people think once you're there that's it and kick back and beautiful tropical breeze just comes over you and sunlight but really what happens is, is the work amplifies and you've got got to get ready to double down and go harder than ever before. And how have you found that experience? I've found it incredible in terms of personal growth um, because whilst there has been an outpour of love, there's also been the whole online space that I just wasn't ready for and I don't think you can get ready for it because everyone on the online space has got an opinion um, and they're not all going to be great. Now you do talk about this, um, you know, the online space, what, what um, you know, has been your experience um, in that world, I guess. You know, as a young black fella, you're growing up, you're painting up with all the mob, it's a bit different, you're in your lap lap, you paint it up, no one really questions anything, you know what I mean? That's it, like, it's like, it's pretty black or white, you're either going to be liked or not, you know? When you like, look like me, dress like me, but a proud, strong, cultural man and rock that on with your headdress and ochre, um, it's very quickly people have got opinions about that, you know, because really quickly you don't fit the stereotypical mould. Um, so very quickly your face, your dress, your song, everything about you is ridiculed and pulled apart and dissected, um, you know, and you start to feel like a, a dog in the pound, you know. Where's your papers? Where's your this, your that, you know. I just wasn't ready and I didn't have the skill set to navigate it. And I don't think you can. Like, you have to go through it. That's It's unfortunate, but it is what it is because the growth comes in the pressure. You know, you can't develop tools without, you know, having things pop up that you need the tools for, so to speak. So it, it drilled me. But then out of that, all this support and love came too. Now, you released the song Heal for Father's Day in 2021 because it covers the themes of um, being a good father and, and a role model, uh, a, new, uh, a new role you've found yourself in since marrying Leah. Mm. Um, but the song also helped you to heal as well. Can you tell me what you were healing from? Yeah, so I wrote the song in a lockdown in a garage 
and wrote this song and originally I just wanted this banger, like dance anthem. And I wrote these lyrics, put them down and a few months after when I went back to the song I said to Leah, wow, I kind of think maybe I've unconsciously written about my own grief. I lost my dad to cancer. So, um, and obviously Leah's got three beautiful daughters um, that are my beautiful stepdaughters and we've got now our new edition Phoenix. But um, so I had lots to reflect on becoming obviously a stepfather and a soon-to-be father and I realised that I'd felt that I'd written this song unconsciously about navigating through my own grief. So the, the context or the lyric of the song is basically me envisioning like these old fellas up above the cloud calling this storm to come and cleanse country and heal country so that we can go back to country and heal. Like we don't have to worry about laying in polluted rivers that we can just go back. Imagine that feeling, this pristine water, the spirit and the energy and that, what that could do for us. And they're coming to, to cleanse and just let that river flow again. And I realized that whilst calling that storm for healing, we often navigate our own storm too. So did you, did you feel that you had reconciled with your father? Yeah, I mean, I think so. It's a, it's a great question. I think it's as you grow, especially as I think, I don't know if it's universal with, um, you know, women and their father, but as a young fella, I think, and then growing into a man, I think there's different levels of that reconciling as you grow and as you develop because you start to, you know, get older and you start to actually have your foot in their shoes, so to speak, like, oh, wow, that would probably would have, would have been like, you know, you're only a young fella yourself and you had this young fella and, you know, you just start to sort of, empathize in a different way and you start to let go as well and start to just be free in it and realize it's just it's just a journey you know and everyone's doing their best and no one's perfect and that's okay it's just the human experience join the conversation on radio online and mobile you're with nitv radio You're listening to NITV Radio and coming up now for you is part three of our yarn with singer-songwriter and incredible fella Mitch Tambo as he sat down with NITV host of the Living Black program, Carla Grant. Now, you're stepfather to Leah's children, but you've you know, both just recently had a daughter, Phoenix, um, and you've incorporated elements of Leah's West Papuan culture and your Gamilaroi culture into her name. What does it mean to you to grow your children up in culture and language? Everything. I love it. It's just it's a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful thing. I mean, even um, our second youngest now, Kalani, you know, you hear her every night singing up West Papuan songs with Leah before bed and it just starts to be embedded. And even now with Phoenix here, Sophie and Offa, you hear them singing up the little nursery rhyme Leah sings to her and it's all in language. You know, it's a beautiful thing. Now, 2022 marks the start of the United Nations Decade of Indigenous Languages. Mm. How important is it to have language in music played on commercial radio and, and performed at large you know, festivals both here and overseas? I think it's just, it's so important for a num number of reasons, but I guess the point that I'll sit on here is it's truth-telling, you know, it's, uh, it's the absolute truth of where we are right now in this moment. Mainstream radio at the moment is not reflective of the country we all live in 
at all. You know, it's maybe like 1% there. And I'm not saying that to down mainstream radio because I love mainstream radio, but in, in talking about language and diversity and inclusion, it's not. We live in this country that before it was colonised was already made up of hundreds of languages and then you break the languages down into dialects and you can go further and further. And then with the mobs we were trading with, like West Papua, PNG, other islands and whatnot, it goes further into the multiculturalism and society we had going on. And here we are again today and it's a whole other level. There's people from all different parts of Africa, the Middle East, Asia, India, like it goes on, Europe. So to have a radio station where you could come out of a Guy Sebastian song into, I'll just say for the sake of promo, Mitch Tambo song, <laughs> into like a Sudanese ballad singer and language, into like a Kid Leroy, back into, you know, an incredible Muslim rapper in their lingo. Like that's the society I want to be a part of. Mm. Now, what's next for Mitch Tambo? What can we expect, you know, in the future? Well, there's lots on the horizon. We just hope that we can stay out and about. And I look forward to just getting back on stages, just being with people again. The one thing that I realise with all of these lockdowns is the one thing that I do love outside of obviously the purpose, but it's very much attached to that, it's people. <laughs> just love sharing with people and engaging with people on a real level and having that encounter whether it's on stage whether it's on an interview whether it's just talking to that someone on a plane it's all interaction so I just look forward to just getting back traveling you know just trying to level up and get better well Mitch it's been lovely speaking with you today thank you so much for sharing your story with us and, and all the best for the future thanks so much and thank you for everything that you've done and continue to do for our mob and getting our stories out there thank you you just heard there from the NITV host of the Living Black program, Carla Grant, and she was having a sit-down yarn with the incredible singer-songwriter who is Mitch Tambo. I'm Kerry Lee Harding. It's been great being with you on this Wednesday afternoon. I'll be back on air Friday at 1pm. I look forward to seeing you, Mob, then. Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from.